Howdy, welcome to another episode of Cannon Calls. I am your host, Jake McAtee, and this week I had the pleasure of speaking with James White. You may know James White from The Dividing Line at Alpha and Omega Ministries. You may know him for his debates. We talk about all of that, how it all started, what got him into it, and what he's doing in Moscow this week. I want to recommend that you guys subscribe to Canon Plus as we'll be releasing some exclusive James White content this week, including, for a short time, the debate with Doug Wilson. You don't want to miss the subscription to Canon Plus. In the last week alone, we've added the Green Ember series from S.D. Smith to the kids section, as well as Douglas Wilson's new book with David Bonson, Misinflation. The audio is there, as well as hundreds of other books and audio content. Go sign up at mycanonplus.com, and without further ado, meet Dr. James White. All right, now welcoming on special guest, Dr. James White. Welcome to Canon Calls. Good to be with you. Thanks so much for uh, giving us your time. I, I only did it because Summer told me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of our favorite recurring guests. Yes. Uh, uh, and uh, it's an honor to, to have you now. Yeah. Uh, everybody should know uh, Dr. White just gave a clinic out in the <laughs> Cannon parking lot. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about? Yeah, well, I just got this strange idea. I, I was like, you know, I, I, I love the Cannon guys. And um, how about if I drag my hydrogen alpha solar telescope from Phoenix to Idaho and set it up outside on a sunny day or at least a semi-sunny day and show everybody at Canon what the surface of the sun looks like. It's very active right now. There's all sorts of sunspots and prominences and flares and and all sorts of neat stuff that you can see. And uh, so we set it up and you know, we had to stop every once in a while and do some other things for, uh, for clouds uh, yeah. that would float by. Uh, and eventually a whole cloud bank high altitude came by and that was the end of that. But we really did get to see some really clear uh, shots of the sun. And uh, it's really, really fascinating because the vast majority of people have walked this planet. And if they tried to see that, uh, that was the last thing they ever saw, uh, right. basically. So, <laughs> so they didn't look up at it. It was awesome. It was awesome. If, if anybody drove past, they just saw all of us sort of squinting at the sun, yes. listening to yeah. uh, a, a very nice lecture. Well, yeah, clouds. I wanted to, I wanted to <clears throat> fill everybody in on, on, you know, galaxies and how large the sun is and, and how big Betelgeuse <laughs> would be if it was That's our, right. if it was our sun and go out to all the way to Jupiter and all sorts of fun stuff. I, I learned all that from Jason Lyle. I'm just repeating sure. stuff from, uh, from really smart people, but, uh, you put everyone at ease that the sun can't go supernova. That's right. That's, uh, you know, some people just lay at night. Uh, yeah, they can't well, sleep. Concerned. That's right. <laughs> Will it happen while I'm asleep? And then That's I just right. Get fried. Um, okay. So to back up a little bit, do you mind just introducing us to yourself if someone's ever seen or heard the Vining line or anything about your ministry? Oh, goodness. I don't even know what to say. I mean, um, I'm just a silly old Scotsman that uh, <laughs> has had the opportunity of doing a lot of really cool stuff. Um Alpha and Omega Ministries is a Christian apologetics organization started, we're coming up on our 40th uh, anniversary oh, wow. and um, most apologetics groups don't last for 40 years. And I'll tell you the secret of our longevity is that I've always been a churchman. Okay. If you have an apologetics organization that is not closely associated with the local church, it will either become heretical or just supernova. <laughs> they can yeah. go supernova, right. unlike our son, uh, they can. And uh 
So we've always just been an adjunct to the local church. Um, you know, the local pastor may not have the opportunity of doing the kind of in-depth study on the history of Mormonism or Jehovah's yeah. Witnesses or this kind of stuff. And so uh, it grew out of, uh, shortly after I got married, I got married at 19. Uh, my wife was 18 and we didn't have to do that, uh, but we chose to do that. And uh, I'm very glad we did because now we have grandkids and get to enjoy the grandkids and hopefully I'll see my great grandkids. But uh, shortly after we got married, my wife's an identical twin, two more missionaries, elders Reed and Reese, they have no idea what they started, um, <laughs> came by uh, my sister-in-law's home and uh, she called me and said, they're coming back. Would you come over and talk to them? And we spent three hours on a Monday and three hours on a Thursday. I read at least two, maybe three books on Mormonism between Monday and Thursday. Wow. Um, and the, the, the wonderful thing is at the end of that conversation, I told them the same thing then. And I was, we were the same age, you know, we were 19. You and the elders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were the same age. Um, I told them the same thing that I would tell any Mormon missionary uh, today. And, and that is um, that your God has changed. And someday you're going to need to know the God who doesn't change. And I hope if it's not me, it's someone like me that will be around that you can talk to, um, to learn more about that God who does not change. And even though I have read thousands and thousands and thousands of more pages of more on Mormonism, and of course, most of that was Mormon material. It wasn't Christian. I read, sure. a, read all the Christian books on Mormonism, found them to be of various qualities. Um, and then I realized I really need to start reading the original stuff. And, uh, so having done all that study, I think I could much more clearly express myself to them, but I really haven't changed the message in all okay. that time. And it's funny years and years, years later, I was doing a radio program up in, uh, on KTKK radio in Salt Lake city. So it's with a guy named Van Hale. Van has been doing Mormon apologetic radio for m longer than I've been doing ministry. And we had just got done doing another, you know, three hour program where we're taking calls. They're all Mormons, Mormon host, all coming at me. Um, it's wonderful opportunity. And he said something to me and Rich Pierce that I'll never forget uh, as we were leaving. He said, you know, people come and go. Um, he said, but you all, um, you all have been focused on the same topics from the first time I met you. You've always been talking about the nature of God and, and things like that. And to, to Rich and I, that was like, nice. we've been consistent all along and even the Mormons can see it. Yeah. So uh, for those that may not know, Rich Pierce. Rich Pierce, the president of Alpha and Omega Ministries. I'm the director and we're the entire staff. We have one volunteer. Um, we're, we're small, not because we couldn't get big if we wanted to, but I'm not smart enough to run something like as big as Canon or something. Like that. Sure. I'm sort of dumb. <laughs> and um, so we just do what we do and we stay focused on doing what we do. Yeah. So for folks that don't know, that's, uh, the dividing line is huge. We have a global audience. We, we were the first apologetics webcast and it wasn't because we were smart. It was because we didn't have enough money to stay on the radio. We okay. were, we were doing a radio program on Saturdays. Who listens to the radio on Saturdays? Right. Nobody. <laughs> but the radio station had started, uh, live casting by real audio on the internet. Okay. And we discovered very quickly, all of our uh, calls were coming from the internet. They weren't coming locally. They weren't listening to us locally. So we're like, why are we paying this amount of money to do a local right. uh, cast, terrestrial cast, as they call it, when it's all going out of the internet? And so around 2000, we just decided, 
we figured out how to use real audio and we just started doing the dividing line. Now we started doing the dividing line in the 1980s. We don't have okay. archives of all that stuff. Um, but uh, we started doing a live webcast and then making av available archiving the stuff uh, about 22 years ago. We've been doing it almost a quarter of a century. Wow. And so- And was that the same team in 1980? Uh, Rich and I. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, wow. it was uh, pretty much. And uh, um, he and I, have just, just we're, we're the odd couple. We've been around for forever. And uh, uh, so that the fact that we have a global- literally a global audience is not because we've ever spent a dime on advertising because we haven't. Right. Um, it's just because we've been around longer than anybody else. And so word of mouth, uh, it, it just, it's astonished me when I started traveling internationally about 2005 and especially from 2010 to 2019, when I've stopped traveling internationally, um, well, 2020, uh, people would come up to me in Pachisrum, South Africa, Samara, Russia, uh, in small towns in Australia and tell me about how, uh, one of the, one of the ones that really, really sticks in my, my mind is in South Africa, two different times, two different groups of guys, um, in the general Johannesburg, Randburg area, I had these three young black, uh, students come up to me and say, if it hadn't been for the dividing line, we never would have been able to keep our faith during university. Wow. Because you were the only voice of belief and apologetics in biblical theology that we could find. And that happened to me twice. It was three guys each time. It's very, very strange. About six years apart. Okay. Um, and I don't know how those guys find the dividing sure. line right. or anything. I have no earthly idea, but the Lord makes it happen. And um, that's why he's kept us going all these years, I guess. I, I'm, I'm Curious to know, do you know, or do you remember when you hit YouTube by chance? Because I imagine the internet, that's that's clearly easily shareable, but I imagine YouTube. YouTube has been huge. There's, yeah. no, there's no two ways about it. You know, uh, I remember having to earn the right to have more than 10 minutes. You, you had to somehow get enough people subscribed to something like that to even have more than 10 minute videos. Wow. That's how long ago it was. Wow. And uh, we eventually got that. We eventually bailed on any monetization because Rich read the... Back then, he read the, the the fine print and said, "No, I don't think so. That sounds like you can control what we say, yeah, yeah. and so we're not going to do that." And I knew a lot of folks that became very dependent upon that monetization. Right. And as soon as it got pulled, they were they poof disappeared yep. into thin air. So Rich was ahead of the curve on that, as he most often is. And uh, so he sort of pushed us to do the video stuff. I didn't. I'm ugly. I don't want to have to wear special clothes or or you know comb my hair, what little bit's left uh, <laughs> on my face um, yeah. before. But he said, no, this is what people are doing. And so uh, the first <laughs> the first few dividing lines we did in, in the studio really are really cheesy. It's just really bad. The background. Background's almost as good as what you got here. Yeah. And uh, and you're not even trying to do video <laughs> here. Right. So, so <laughs> that's yeah. the problem with that. But eventually he he built that really nice Set. studio. Nice. Um, and now we have the new big studio with okay. the with the flipboard and all that neat fun stuff. So yeah, we can do a lot, um, but I still have no idea why anyone wants to look at me talking. Sure, uh, I, I get the topics we do. You got to admit we do the weirdest topics on the planet. I I have I have no listing whatsoever of what the topics of sure. any dividing line is going to be. I just it's 
I have literally walked into the studio at times past going, got no idea how this is going to happen. I have no idea what we're going to talk yeah. about, but let's get going. Um, sometimes I've got an idea, uh, but most of the time I do not. And we just, we don't have sound effects. We don't have cute little jingle jingles and, and stuff like that. We're not trying to entertain anybody. And we do topics that should absolutely destroy our audience. Okay. I mean, think about it. I do textual criticism for crying out That's loud. That's very true. I dig into manuscripts and early church fathers. And sometimes I'll sit, I've been sitting in the back of my RV reading from the Institutes of the Christian Religion, talking about what Calvin was actually saying on some obscure point of theology. That the dividing line should be deader than a doornail. <laughs> um, but in fact, we have just an amazing. Uh, audience, we have all sorts of homeschool uh, families yeah. that just make the dividing line part of their their regular life. I'm curious. Uh, well, actually, before I get there, you, you've talked about it a little bit, but what are what what could somebody expect on a dividing line? Like, it, how, what's the length? What what are more topics you talk about? Well, and I, I'm really glad that we we've had a lot of folks that have tried to get us like onto networks and stuff like okay. that. I've always resisted that. It's not that I can't do time stuff because yep. I grew up doing radio. So I'm actually very good at doing time stuff. But that that means we've got to do it on a certain schedule. We've got to do it every day. You got to yep. travel with equipment, all the rest of this kind of stuff. And especially now that I'm traveling via an RV, um, we just do it when we can, when Rich and I can hook up right. and we can get that feed started. We've got an app that tells everybody, hey, we're getting ready to go. And we, we realize 75% of our audience or more is going to watch on archive anyways and sure. not watching live sure. to begin with. And so, but, but we're still, we still have, I don't know, 20,000 average on YouTube or something like that. Yep. And then we're on Sermon Audio. We don't even track Apple, the rest of them. Okay. It, it goes those places, but we, sure. don't, we don't keep track of that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, we're focused on Sermon Audio and, and, and YouTube or... What's that other one that we used when YouTube, we were so scared YouTube was going to kick us off? Uh, um, is it Rumble? Or no, it, it's, uh, uh, starts Odyssey. Uh, something O. I forget what I it is. Know. Anyways, they automatically archive what we do on YouTube. <clears throat> okay. And uh, we did a few live ones on there when I needed to talk about stuff that, sure. you know, Joe Biden's cookies, you yeah, know, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, so, but on a dividing line. There could be five, six, seven topics. I could be talking about certain stuff going on. I could be talking about uh, mandates and masks and political stuff, or I could be talking about John Chrysostom's interactions with another early church father, or we could be looking at what Jehovah's Witnesses used to teach about 1914 and the coming of Christ. And who knows? Yeah. I mean, and and I when I when I use the large board, uh, we'll put we'll put the Greek New Testament up there, and we'll do exegesis. Uh, we also, a lot of times, will we'll play presentations from other people, okay. and I will interact with what they're saying. So people who will say, oh, those Calvinists, they don't know what in the world they're talking about. And so we'll play them uh, talking about a passage of scripture. Then we'll go into the passage of scripture and go, yeah, I don't think so. And um, we, have, we have a very, 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 very popular uh, program called Radio Free Geneva. Okay. Now, Radio Free Geneva is, we, we have these awesome... Um, introductions, uh, where this one guy, um, Tim Bushong, we've had a number of people who've done who've who've done Radio Free Geneva theme songs for us, but Tim's done the last couple of years, where we do a Mighty Fortress is Our God, and then between phrases we'll insert some of the wildest, strangest, uh, anti-Calvinistic statements from people. Okay, and you, <laughs> it's 
it's almost cultic. Um, <laughs> people will ab they just lose their minds when I announce we're going to do Radio Free Geneva. They're they're just like yes, okay. Oh, and they get super excited and and uh, all the rest of that kind of stuff, fun stuff. So that's really super popular. Yeah, uh, people really really love when we do Radio Free Geneva. So it can cover really the gamut now is it is it mainly monologue or is is rich interacting it much or um rich will interact a little bit okay um uh, and and sometimes it's just me um making fun of him behind the glass love that uh to where the people can't see the faces (laughs) he's making at me and the things he's so they think i'm just a big meanie i'm just this terrible horrible person uh, and they just don't realize what's actually going on the other side of the glass. But so there'll be a little bit. And I've had guests on. Um, uh, I, I have it over on my phone, which I thought I'd silenced, but I evidently didn't. Um, I got a, a text from a very good friend of mine by the name of John Cooper. John Cooper okay. is yes, the yes. lead singer for Skillet. And uh, he and I talk all the time. And we really are good friends. And he was at a uh, turning point rally last week. Okay. And he was asked to speak at it. Wow. Uh, he's. Turning points being uh it's the college conservative. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, he's written a uh, a book, and he's speaking out on issues. He's he used to get away with things, saying, "Hey, I, what am I supposed to know? I'm just a rock star." Um, but now people realize he's a whole lot more than that. Sure. And uh, so he's getting he's getting a real platform to be able to speak to important issues, and he he loves uh, Doug. He um, I introduced him to Joe Boot. Okay. And, and so he read Mission of God and it, it turned his world upside down. And then last year when Joe wrote his, wrote his new book, um, something of Kings, ruler, ruler of Kings, I think okay. it's called ruler of Kings. Okay. Um, it blew me away when I read it, Joe had sent it to me. I'm one of the fellows for Ezra Institute. Okay. And so he sent it to me and then I said, Hey, can I share this with John Cooper? And I said, yeah. And just blew John away. And That's so awesome. if you've read his, if you read the cover, both John and I have endorsements awesome. on it because it's just an awesome, <laughs> awesome book. So he's really solid. He sent me this text message and um, he said, I was at this turning point thing. This guy came up to me afterwards and he said, there was this guy, he, he was raised fundamentalist. He lost his faith. He went out into the world. And he said, um, he told me that the means that the Lord used to bring him back to faith was the dividing line. He found the dividing line wow. in your debates and a reason to believe in the Bible and stuff like that. And then I've had John on the program and he said, that's how he hooked up with Skillet wow. and Skillet became real encouragement to him. And that's why he was there. And, and it's just amazing to see what, what, awesome. the, what the Lord does and, and bringing all this stuff together and encouraging people and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, you'll get, you'll get almost, I mean, we will review debates, uh, other people's debates, my debates, whatever. Yes. Um, it's, it's a little bit of everything. So everything. with that, I imagine in, in terms of James White's concentric circles of people, the dividing line is probably, uh, the bottom of the, of the filter percent, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's where people, that's your people. Uh, and then I imagine you've, you've gained a considerable, uh, amount of press and other things like that because of your debates. Yeah. Debates are super helpful for anyone and everyone. And I imagine people maybe that Good don't- Good debates in- are, are helpful yes. for people. Bad debates are actually bad for people. <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine people probably watch and, and are benefited by debates that maybe not even care for you, but they need somebody who's interacted with the Muslim or- Yep. Or so it's, it, tell us a little bit, when did you start debating? When, when did that start happening? Uh, 
I, August 16th, 1990, okay, August 16th, 1990, and what happened was, uh, I never studied debate in college, Okay. however, this is, I've not told told the story very often, so uh, Summer said I needed to give you all the best I could, stuff okay, I could give you. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Because for some reason, she thinks you're just one of the coolest people <laughs> up here, and I'm not really, Summer, not yeah, really sure. I, I think I told you last night, she's, she's the best. She, well, and... She has been since she started talking and talking and talking <laughs> and talking very, very early in life. Believe you me, uh, that was a that was a talkative little girl. Anyway, uh, so in my senior year in high school, okay, I was class valedictorian. Yes. So um, that meant that when I took classes with everybody else. <laughs> Halfway through, I'd already have enough points to get an A and I okay. could just sort of like go to sleep, yep. like taking American government or something like that. Sure. And so um, my senior year, they had an extra credit project where they did the trial of Lee Harvey Oswald. Okay. Now, what had happened was most of the other people in that school had come from another junior high school and they had done that in junior high school. So they're figuring, hey, we've already got a bunch of stuff we can... We, and it was for extra credit. I didn't care. I didn't need extra. I already had 105% of the points. So I, I, I just. You had was, points to lose. I, I, it's, yeah. Exactly. So one day I looked over while they were working uh, on this thing. And I realized the next nine people on the honor roll were on the defense. And I went, <laughs> now I'm a senior. Remember senioritis? Yeah. It's sort yes. of like, I just want to get this over with, you yes. know? And so I'm sort of like, hmm. It'd be sort of fun if I joined the prosecution. Because I looked over the prosecution and there was nobody over there. Yep. They were going to get creamed. This wasn't even okay. going to be interesting. Okay. And so I signed up as the, for the prosecution and, of course, became the prosecutor. Yeah. Dude, I, I dove into that. <laughs> I went out to Arizona State University. I got the Warren Commission report. I, all my witnesses, I had, I literally, I literally had in binders their testimony. Oh from gosh. the Warren Commission report uh, of every one of my witnesses, what they had actually said. And I provided them to all of my people. I lived this thing. Wow. And uh, the night before it was going to happen, it was on a Saturday at, at school. Night beforehand, we, we had a defense meeting and a prosecution meeting. And I had all of my witnesses. We had a chair set up. And you'd sit there and you'd have your testimony and I had your testimony and I, I knew what your, I knew what everybody else's testimony sure. was supposed to be. So we're going through this stuff and I'm drilling them all the way through. The teachers came and visited. Then they went to the defense and they told me later, they, they said, we knew what was going to happen because when we got to the defense meeting, they were having a food fight. Oh no. Okay. Because they just figured we already did this once. This is, you know, what, sure. what, what, what can happen? I have video what of, of, yeah. of that, of that. Um, Do you really? I didn't get a conviction. It was 11 to one, but the one who voted for the defense was the girlfriend of one of the people on the defense. Okay. Can't you couldn't, you couldn't do yeah. much about, about that. Do you really but, have a video? Oh yes. Yes. In fact, I have a picture. I'll show you pictures. We sometime. should, uh, we should get it on because, Plus. Pronto, <laughs> because, know? because the funny thing was here I am. And on the table is a Parker Hale 30 six that I bought from my dad. Okay. And I was able to just bring that into the school. That's wild. And, be, and today, not going to happen today. Right. But back then, it's like, oh, big deal. You got, got the bolt open. Sure. And, you know, no problem. Everything's cool. Uh, I did, by the way, a few weeks later, find a Mandelker Carcano 6.5 millimeter, because that's, <laughs> that's what the gun was, and oh, bought it. Okay, nice. Uh, I had it for a while before I, before I sold it. But um, uh, we did the whole thing. And so 
that's very much like doing debates and apologetics. Okay. That there's, there's a lot of relationship between being a good attorney and especially a good trial attorney and what you have to do in a debate. And so that was my whole background. But you could sort of see in that one instance, because afterwards, everybody at that school, I had stoners coming up to me after they attended to get some extra credit points yeah. going, hey, dude, I just got busted. Could you like help me out, man? You know, <laughs> it was hilarious. It really, really was. So so what was it about it? Was Did you find something in this experience that sort of tapped into like, wow, this actually, I'm enjoying this more than I thought? Or was this sort of just the raw competition? That was just that was just a demonstration of the fact that I don't have any problems engaging in public dispute and dialogue. And I'm as I I think I mentioned to you, I grew up doing radio. So yep. a microphone and me are a big deal. It's it's just something in front of my mouth. You talk to it, you do what you're supposed to do. And some people just freeze up. Right. And I I'm not gonna freeze up. So what happened uh, was um, I had been pulled into dealing with the issue of Roman Catholicism. Um, having dealt with Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, I had a former Roman Catholic who was saying, well, look, look at what Rome is saying about this and look at what they're saying about this. Why, aren't you, why won't you get involved in this? And so the, the oddity was my first two books with a little publisher, Canon wasn't around back then, uh, called, uh, called Crown Publications was okay. uh, The Fatal Flaw and Answers to Catholic Claims. Answers to Catholic Claims was just the, long, the two long appendices that was supposed to go on The Fatal Flaw, but it was just too big. Okay. So it became its own book. No one had expected me to write in Roman Catholicism first. My book, Letters to a Mormon Elder, which is still in print, uh, that's what everybody expected would be yep. the first books that I would write. But they came out of Roman Catholicism. And I had been listening to uh, Jerry Matatix and Scott Hahn. Now, I don't okay. know if those names mean anything to you, but Jerry Matatix was the first ordained PCA minister to convert to Roman Catholicism. Okay. He was John Gerstner's favorite student. Interesting. And Scott Hahn converted with him and is now this long-term, highly respected professor um, at the University of Steubenville. And they were going around debating uh, Calvary Chapel pastors and just cremating them. Okay. Because uh, Calvary Chapel pastors don't know church history. They have, church history is not an element of the Calvary Chapel shtick and thing, you know? It's just the Bible, but you don't know where you're coming from. And so... They just go around and they just tear people to shreds. And so when my books came out, I sent them to Catholic Answers. And within a week, Jerry Mattix was on the phone. And so what people need to remember is, if you want to blame anybody for my doing currently 176 moderated public debates around the world, yeah, you got to blame Catholic Answers. They're the ones that challenged me to come over to California and debate them. Wow. And we did at a large Catholic church in um, uh, Long Beach, uh, St. Cyprian's, I believe. And uh, we debated Sola Scriptura. I probably did five or six debates before some blessed person came along and took me aside and said, you've got to bring the audience along. Don't treat this like the debates you do collegiately where you just talk as fast as you possibly can and throw as much stuff out there as you possibly can. You got to bring the audience along because they're, the, they're the judges. They're, yeah. There's nobody sitting there. There's no judge and jury here. The judge and jury is the audience. And then I learned that the essence of a debate is cross-examination. Yep. Uh, first few debates, I would just stumble into that. It would be like, well, this is what he said. This is what I've said. So I'll ask him about this type of a situation. Okay. Then I realized that what makes a, deb a debate a debate is the cross-examination. Because you can listen to one guy's presentation, then go to another website, yep. listen to another guy's presentation. And 
And th- that's not a debate. I wouldn't be surprised if on your YouTube analytics, you know, the cross-examination start point, you know, people might just- Just skip to it skip because to that's, it. Th- that's where it is. And once I realized that, then I discovered that's what I'm good at. Okay. Um, there, there, I've had so many people say the last thing I would ever want to do would be to engage in cross-examination with you because that's not fun. And there are many times when the debate had been pretty even as far as the presentations. And then the cross-examination started and it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't fair anymore. It wasn't even anymore. Because what sounds really good when you're just making a presentation, when you're being asked, I can think presuppositionally. So when I hear an argument, I just almost visually see what it's assuming and what its foundation is. A lot of people struggle to do that. Um, it's just how I'm wired. Yep. And so you get into the cross X and wow, everything changes. And uh, so we, we started doing, uh, Chris Arnson, uh, uh, Iron Sharpens Iron Radio today, he was working for WMCA back on Long Island at that time. He started putting together these debates that would come out each year and do on, on Long Island. Uh, we did Jerry Matatix. We did Mitch Pacwa. Uh, my my debates with Mitch Paqua, by the way, on Roman Catholicism, I think are 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 the best. Mitch, honorable guy, uh, speaks twelve languages. Wow, he's a brilliant guy, <clears throat> and he never play he never did the cheap debating trick thing. Okay, he's one of the only people ever debated. When I asked him a question once, that was a really important question, uh, and he realized that it was a really important question. He he sort of got quiet for a second and said, "I don't know," and that's. How many, Death. T- how many times has that ever happened? Very rarely. Yeah. Well, well, uh, <laughs> there was, there was <laughs> the debate at Hunter High School in Salt Lake City. There was a guy named Gilbert Sharfs. He was a Mormon that wrote a book called The Truth About the Godmakers. Okay. So I don't know if you remember the Godmakers film. Came out in the 80s, so you wouldn't wow. remember that, but it's been out for a long, long time. Uh, he wrote a Mormon response to it. Okay. And a lot of Mormons picked it up and stuff like that. And so uh, Jason Wallace is a, is a pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Magna, Utah. He and I have gotten into so much trouble together. Uh, it, it's been so much fun. Um, and I'm always getting into trouble with my Presbyterian brothers. Yeah, uh, we, yeah. we, we do a lot of stuff together and it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and so Jason, um, he uh, got in touch with uh, Gilbert Sharfs and set up this debate there in Salt Lake City. I get there and he's this little old man and he stands up. And he starts off by saying, I really don't know why I'm here. I've listened to, uh, to Dr. White's presentations and, and he, he, just, he, he just knows a whole lot more than I do. So I'm really not sure why I'm here, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot. So I'm sort of sitting here like, um, okay. We get to the cross-examination and it was, about, it was about the abilities of Adam because in Mormonism, Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. Okay. That's Book of Mormon. Okay, so the fall was in the right direction, according to Mormonism. There, okay. is, there is nothing of a biblical anthropology okay. in Mormonism at all. Well, you, you can expect that if they think God was an exalted man. But anyway, so we get into the cross-examination period, and um, I start asking about John 6. Okay. I said, so why do you think Jesus said this? Now, you can, nobody else could see this, but he's sitting back in his chair, and he would lean forward up to the microphone, and he would go, I don't know. And then he'd sit back. Now, I'm supposed to have like 10 minutes. And so I did the second question. I don't know. And <laughs> I've ended up yielding most of my time back because what, what can you do? I mean, if the other guy is just going to sit there and go, 
I don't know. How did he get selected? What, what was well, this? he had written the book. You right. know, he had written the book that everybody was reading. And during the break, <laughs> during during the break, Jason is moderating it, and he can see that the guy's shaking. Oh no! And so during the break, he comes over to me, and he sort of leans over to me, and he says, "Please don't kill the nice little Mormon man during the debate. I have to work up here." <laughs> so, so there have been. A couple other times okay. when people said, I don't know, but, but not quite on the same level. I don't know. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was an honorable, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, those debates with Mitch Pacwa, they were on, we did justification, mass, um, solo scriptura in 1999 at, uh, an OPC church in San Diego. And that was, that one really went well. Um, the priesthood, which was really interesting. Okay. And I think we, we yeah, we did the papacy. So we've done five debates total. And that really covers the, the, the waterfront in essence. So if I was going to direct people to any particular yeah. of the 30 some odd debates I've done with Roman Catholics, those would be the five that I think are most representative of the other, best of the other side. You know? So you said 30 for the Roman Catholic genre. For, about 30 for them, about 40 for uh, more, uh, Islam. Um, throw in the, uh, the, Mor the Mormonism stuff, atheists, uh, King James onlyism. Only one on Jehovah's Witnesses because witnesses will not debate. Uh, and the guy that I debated was excommunicated shortly after we did the debate anyway. For that reason? Uh, it was probably a number of things. He ended up starting his own cult called the Witnesses of Yah. Oh, good. Greg Stafford was his name. So, uh, yeah, he was, he was on his way out one way or the other. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it is, you know, Calvinism and just all sorts of stuff. Has, has, we've, we've covered the waterfront. I'm curious, the, uh, have you ever debated on something that you would now hold differently to? So have you ever defended a topic that you would now at this point? No, because uh, the, only, the only major changes I've had personally uh, would be eschatology. I'm a post-millennialist now. I'm a, I'm a general equity post-millennial theonomist. Okay. Okay? okay, so I never debated on the other side of right. those things. When okay. I was an amillennialist, I was an amillennialist by default. Yeah. Uh, I was raised as dispensational premillennialist. Okay. Realized pretty quickly early on in, in Bible college that I was using a form of hermeneutics that I wasn't using for anything else. Sure. So a long time I called myself a panmillennialist, so yeah. I'll pan out in the end. And then I, I, I listened to a presentation, very well done presentation <clears throat> on this age and the age to come um, that presented the amillennial perspective. And I'm like, okay. oh, that sounds good. But I was never an amillennialist of passion. It wasn't sure. something that was, ooh, that's exciting. Um, and then of course, Doug was important and a number of other people. Of course, when I went to Apologia, all my other fellow elders were right. already post-millennialists. Right. And so it, it took a, it was a process and I would never, I don't, I don't, I have no interest in debating that particular subject, sure. but it's what I've discovered is it's so much more central and consistent with everything else I've been saying all along. Sure. I mean, you go back and listen to the uh, sermons I did on God's law at Phoenix Reformed Baptist Church uh, seven, eight years ago. Okay. And you, and you go, that guy's a theonomist. What are you sure. talking about? Sure. Um, and I've just always you know, held that perspective. And the funny thing is, after leaving PRBC, a couple of years later, somebody else was talking to my fellow elder there, um, Don Fry, and, and he, he said, yeah, I've, I've always been a post-millennial theonomist. But he never used that terminology. Sure. But it was consistent, you know, with what he, what so he said. So if, if that topic particularly is sort of outside of what gets you excited, what would you draw the circle around? Like, what are the topics of interest to you? What makes you run? 
Um, well, there are people who do all sorts of topics much better than I do. That's why I wouldn't do eschatology okay. is because why should I mess it up? There are, there are, <laughs> there are really smart people that, sure. that can do that. I'm not trying to be the guy, you know, it's sort of sure. like, it's sort of like Hank Hanegraaff. He, he sort of ruined himself by trying to be the Bible answer man and no one else could be. Now he's the Eastern Orthodox answer man. Um, <laughs> and so I've just never been that guy. Uh, yeah. I'm going to do what I'm good at. And I'm not going to feel like I'm in competition with sure. anybody else. So obviously the areas that I've studied, um, then I want to, if, if I can be of assistance, there are certain topics that I can explain that a lot of other people struggle to explain. Sure. Um, textual critical issues. I was about to ask textual criticism. Uh, oh yeah. T the textual stuff for most people, it's just as boring as can be. Um, but I've just always found it to be just um, absolutely fantastic. And interestingly enough, the only book that uh, Doug and I have written together was a debate on that subject. Oh, which really? You, which you've probably never heard of. No. Uh, the people that did it just killed it. I mean, but it was it was from the beginning, it was meant to be a book where, where we had certain um, number of words. And so I'd do one, then he'd respond and back and forth and back and forth. And the whole intention was to do a book. But even we said to them halfway through, I said, man, we, we really could use a little more space. They said, nope, nope. This, the whole intention is to make these short, easy, readable. Well, okay, fine. And um, they just, I'm not even sure that they ever even sent me a copy. Um, and did you sign the rights away? No, no. But I'm just simply saying, I don't know what they did with it. Well, that's what I'm wondering too, is I, I wonder if. Oh, <laughs> you're wondering, oh, could we get yeah. it? I have, I have no earthly idea what, what, what its status is. Uh, Doug probably know better than I, I would. But um, it, it's interesting that that was the only written well, no, actually, interestingly enough, the first written thing I ever did with Doug was in antithesis, and okay. it was a disputatio on textual critical issues. Wow. And so uh, we've debated each other a number of times, and that's what freaks people out so much, is there are, there are two people that I'm good friends with that freak my friends out about, and they, they don't like the fact, Michael Brown and Doug okay. Wilson. Okay. And the interesting thing is with both of them, I have debated both of them yep. and then done all sorts of things with, we're both on the same side. Sure. So you look at the stuff I've done with Michael Brown and he and I years ago in 2010, I think, he and I tag teamed two Unitarians on the Jewish Voice broadcast on the Doctrine of the Trinity. And we had no uh, talking beforehand about how we were going to do it, who's going to do this, who's, nothing like that. We just met and said, let's go. We're finishing each other's sentences like clockwork. It was like yeah. we had completely memorized how we we're going to do things. It was just that smooth. I mean, halfway through, Summer came up to me and said, I sort of feel sorry for the other guys. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, no, dear, you're not supposed to feel sorry for the other guys at all. Credit it's, to it's, Summer. Uh, yeah. Credit to Summer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But I said no. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, just a few years ago, uh, he and I did a debate in Florida against two quote unquote homosexual pastors. Okay. And once again, you know, we split up the time. He had 10 minutes, I had 10 minutes. He finished right at 10 minutes. I, because he does his own national uh, radio broadcast yep. as well. So we, we do time pretty, pretty well. But then when we did the uh, rebuttal, the first rebuttal, we didn't stand up at the podium. We sat at the table. I, I don't even know how to describe this. You, you can watch it, it's on YouTube. Um, we were finishing each other's sentences. We, it was seamless. We had people come up to us afterwards and go, how did you all memorize 
that rebuttal that you, because right. that was incredible. Right. What they don't know is that as soon as the debate was over, the microphones are turned off. I'm sitting there, Mike's sitting over here, and we just turned to each other and said, what happened during our rebuttal period? And Michael's like, that was just God all over it. And it's true. I've, I've never experienced anything where you just had this flow uh, yeah. that, that was just, it, it was astonishing. So, you know, that was not my upbringing. In independent fundamentalist Baptist circles, you prove your spirituality by separating okay. based upon any type of difference. Disagreement. So you, you separate from pedo-baptists because yeah. they, don't, they don't get baptism. And you separate from anybody that would wear clerical robes. And you separate from anybody that would have a candle anywhere in their house. Or, uh, you know, that's how you prove your spirituality. And so to, for me to learn to recognize um, the, the marks of truth in someone else. Yep. While at the same time recognizing we there are issues that we can debate, sure. we, can, we can disagree on. Um, that was a that was a huge. That, that's Is that a something huge, you learned? Do you feel like you came through that? You had a. I had to. You had to learn. I had. That's something I had to learn. That okay. was not. That was not a part of my upbringing. That's not a part of, my, part of my background at all. But but a seed might have been planted there because see my dad graduated from Moody Bible Institute. Okay. Dispensational premillennial. <laughs> you'd expect certain things. His systematic theology book was guy, by a guy uh, named P.B. Fitzwater, okay. who was a Presbyterian. Okay. <laughs> and so yeah. there was, there, the, the, lang the terminology wasn't there, but there was an emphasis on the sovereignty of God and election and God's accomplishing his will. And there was, the theology was there, sure. just not necessarily the terminology. And I discovered that years later. Okay. And I still have that. I have his systematic theology. It's one of the, one of the things that I made sure that I got uh, from his library was his systematic theology book. Cause I, from I, Fitzwater. I, from P.P. Fitzwater. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So it, it, do you think- I've been babbling a lot, haven't I? Oh, it's great. <laughs> um, well, let's actually then, as we sort of uh, wind down, you, you mentioned- uh... I'm just getting started. What are you <laughs> Except it's hot in here. So, it is warm uh, in here. I'm is, very sorry. Yes. Um, you and Pastor Wilson, you said, you know, you've been riding with him or debating yep. him mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. in and around him. Uh, wh but when did that start? Uh, really, it was the Federal Vision stuff because I, I really responded strongly against uh, the Federal Vision. But I always recognized that uh, Doug was on a different level than many of the other people where he was much more specific and clear and nuanced in okay. where he, and I, I wrote, I wrote articles about that long, long, long ago. So I don't remember how we ended up doing that, that debate in Los Angeles. Um, I don't remember what the, you what debated, the, uh, federal vision. We debated our Roman Catholics, our brothers and sisters yes. in Christ, Okay, which can be found on YouTube, can be found on YouTube, YouTube. And it, of course it is related yes. to the idea of Trinitarian baptism and, and, you know, all the rest of that stuff. And so we met, you know, and we said hi. Do you and remember how that came to be at all? Was there any sort of context to that or was it just? I'm pretty certain um, Michael Fallon is probably the one that okay. made the contacts and made all that work out. And so there really wasn't any follow-up relationship there. Okay. I'm not sure exactly uh, when it was in more recent years that the connection started uh, coming alive a little bit more. Um but, uh, you know, especially after over the past number of years, uh, especially once I got to Apologia, Apologia has always had a real 
uh, positive view of Doug and, and relationship with sure. Doug and, and Jeff and Luke and Zach have come up here and, 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 um, stuff like that. And, and of course, Summer, likewise, yeah. um, relationship has developed there. And so there's lots of connections that have come from that direction. So, um, I was a part of putting together the first sweater vest. Mm -hmm. Do you remember how that came to be? Or do you, um, was it, was it just that you guys were interacting online in general, or do you remember? I, I don't because uh, the, the first one that I really remember being focused upon was when we, uh, really dug into the federal vision stuff. Yeah. And, uh, I believe the, that was the first one. Okay. If that was, then, then that, that was what the impetus was, is that I was seeing people who, um, if, if you said, like I said, I've said before, there are people with James White derangement syndrome, yep. but nobody has more people than Doug Wilson derangement syndrome. <laughs> and so if you say anything positive and, and Summer had said things, Summer had had Doug on to talk about a, a diet book or something, a okay. food book, or I forget <laughs> okay. what it was, but you can't, you can't even do that. Sure. You, and so she was getting attacked and, and they I were was saying like, just by, by being near him. Mere you, association, yeah, mere yeah. association. You, you just have to you know, do the independent fundamentalist Baptist thing and, and separate from these folks. And so I, I, I think there were people who were making the constant accusation, well, you're, you're embracing federal vision and all the rest of this stuff. Like we're still Baptist for crying out. Have you right. even thought this through? And so I think that was what was behind it initially. We didn't call it a sweater vest dialogue at first. I don't think we did. We just happened to have sweater vests on. Right. And so it was like, oh, you've got a sweater vest. I've got a sweater vest. Okay. <laughs> and so I think it was after that they were yeah. like, eh, okay, let's run with it. Why yeah. not? It, it, you know, it, it, it worked out well. So, yeah. Awesome. And then, uh, so you are in Moscow for all of your enemies, that, just so they know. <laughs> he has been spotted in Moscow. Spot, spotted in Moscow, uh, <laughs> eating at all the, I, I've now eaten at Tapped uh, and, uh, and Worcesters. the Worcesters. That's and right. so... That that probably has all sorts of theological significance as well. <laughs> it does. Uh, it does. And I know where taco time is too. That's right. And that's the that's the important part. So uh, I'm, ha I'm having a lunch there with Marcus tomorrow. Uh, okay. So, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Now, uh, what else are you doing this week? Anything? Uh... Well, you know, obviously, uh, the the most the busiest day from looking at the itinerary yeah. is Friday. Yeah. And um, that's when we're going to be. Debating Pato Communion and the reason that I even brought that up because I did bring that up because because Doug was, was sort of you. like well, okay yeah Doug was sort of like well see we were supposed to do this in March of 2020 right and then COVID hit yes. and states were talking about stopping airline flights and I didn't want to get stuck in Moscow sorry right. Uh, right. Uh, I, I like I like my own bed and and my my pets um so uh, we 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 scratched it but we I always wanted to keep it. I want still want to do it because a lot of people are like, yeah, that would really be useful because I have debated pedo baptism with uh, Greg Strawbridge, uh, delayed and, Greg Strawbridge. That's yeah. right, and with Bill Shishko, who's OPC, and so we've addressed it from that perspective. Pedo communion allows a completely different angle of light because everybody's heard the other debates; they they know what the, all that stuff is. Pedo communion actually, uh, and I'm appreciative of Doug being willing to do this puts Doug in a minority position yes, within, yep. re, within reformedom. I can right. be quoting Presbyterians until the cows come home right. on this one. But what that does is it allows us to focus upon the nature of what the sacraments actually are. Okay. And um, so we're going to be doing Pato Communion and then sounds like doing something sort of cool uh, yeah. later on yeah. uh, along with that. And then I'll be preaching twice on, um, on Sunday as well. 
and uh, we've got lots of stuff, other stuff we're going to be recording and and stuff while I'm up here. Awesome. And um, hopefully I'll just stay healthy and uh, and uh, it'll really be cool. Awesome. We're super happy to have you. Thank you so much for uh, visiting Can Calls. It's great to be here. <laughs> Thanks, James. <laughs>